Hey, Jim. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm okay. I don't think I'm a morning person, but I'm, I'm, but I'm awake. <laughs> Get you some more coffee. You'll feel yes. better, I promise. Yes, intravenously. Right. So um, who, are we, who are we chatting with today? Well, Courtney, today we have James Sinclair, who is the chief executive and co-founder of Enterprise Alumni, the market-leading alumni and retiree engagement platform. Their software powers the corporate alumni networks of the world's largest companies, leveraging this vast untapped pool of people for talent, sales, marketing, and community. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. That was I in my radio voice. That was, that was very good. I've been practicing. Can you good. tell? Yeah. I can. I can. I think you've got a, a long, bright future in front of you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, let's hop in, and I can't wait to talk to James. Cool beans. You are listening to Tribe Pod, a podcast series of interviews of interest to the HR community. It is hosted by Courtney Lane, produced by Jim Stroud, sponsored by Proactive Talent, and enjoyed by you. Today's episode begins right after this. Recruitment marketing, as compared to maybe employer branding, is all about getting your message and your story in front of the right audience. It's a lot to manage. And what Practic Talent does for our clients is we help centralize. So you have one partner, one vendor to help you manage all those relationships. And not only that, we help you track the effectiveness of every media dollar you spend on hiring so that you know in real time that you're getting the greatest ROI for your marketing investment to attract great talent into your company. We help our clients with recruitment marketing in a couple ways. One is in recruitment marketing strategy. And with that, we really take the time to help you build the right strategy. And then we get mutual approval on that strategy before you spend a single dime. The other way we do this is through our agency of record service. This is a partnership with you where we're able to reach out to publishers on your behalf to negotiate better pricing, to execute on media campaigns, uh, and really act as an extension of your team. Some of the benefits that our clients have seen working with Practic Talents Recruitment Marketing Services is an overall reduction of 30% cost per applicant. That's really significant. It's showing that we're able to leverage great technology, programmatic, and we're also flexible and scalable. We're platform agnostic. We're always gonna use whatever the greatest and latest technology is, whatever the best platforms are to help create efficiencies in your media purchasing so that you're always on the cutting edge. For more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Well, great. So James, I guess just to start things off um, to you know introduce our audience to who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself and Enterprise Alumni. Thank you, Courtney. Appreciate uh... Appreciate you having me. My name is James Sinclair. I'm the Chief Executive of Enterprise Alumni, and we focus on the post-employment experience. And the way to think about that, uh, aside from the word alumni relations, is organizations spend a fortune on recruiting, even more money on retention, and then when you leave, it's like cupcakes and high fives. Um, and we are the cupcakes and high fives. It says it really does make sense for organizations to maintain a relationship with people they've invested so much in, uh, whether it's going to be for recruiting, for sales, for brand adequacy, whatever it might be, there's no reason to throw that talent, you know, away per se. Right. Well, you're clearly really passionate about it. How did, 
how did this become the the area that you started specializing in? Yeah, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Uh, I feel like that's a lot of people like, how did you fall into this? I literally fell in. Uh, so I was focused on uh, large organizations migrating from their on-premise HR software to the cloud. And we saw that with that, companies were going to have to bring with them all of these doodads and bits that they've built and stuff that's you know maintained by sticky tape and, and prayer circles. But we also saw this massive opportunity where large organizations could take advantage of cloud vendors, could take advantage of smaller organizations. Uh, it didn't have to be just sweet. It could be best of breed. So I think as we saw this transformation happening and we recognized there's going to be these white spaces, and if you can make it really easy and simple for big companies to essentially procure and integrate with their HR systems, there was something. And as we looked around, really the biggest place that we saw opportunity was we had a customer talking to us about like when they leave, what are we going to do with them? And at the beginning, it was like, I don't know, high fives and cupcakes? Isn't that what we, isn't that the, uh, the answer? And as we started looking into it, we realized there was an opportunity there. We built a proof of concept for uh, our first customer um, and thought, huh, this could be something. And it's now been about three and a half years. And now I'm deeply in this alumni relations, employee experience um, space. <laughs> right, right. When I think the employee experience in particular, it's getting more and more spotlight from organizations um, as companies are trying to figure out how to not only from like a candidate perspective, but even with their employees, keep that relationship or build that relationship on a deeper level. Um, now, I think for a lot of folks, uh, alumni programs have felt like a nice to have. Um, but I think as we're experiencing, you know, huge unemployment in the U.S. right now and um, across all industries and so many industries are experiencing hiring freezes and very quickly they're looking at towards recovery and how do we recover and how do we quickly ramp back up? And I think programs like alumni programs are quickly shifting from that sort of nice to have piece of a talent strategy to um, a must have. Is that what you're seeing and experiencing as you're talking to people out in the field? I think so. You know, when you asked how I jumped into this, uh, I would tell you that sometimes the answer is, well, how did you get into HR? And the answer is we're realizing that that's, we're not in HR. HR right. serves the entire organization. And I think what you're seeing is this shift of HR almost turning into an agency for the organization. It has a seat at every single table. I think very often with that same conversation of HR, it's always looked at as kind of, or historically as nice to have software as a cost center. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that quickly change to actually must have and being a profit center, that there are tools that can actually save, make and deliver value to the organization. Uh, and that's a great transition. And I think despite this crisis that we're in right now, we're seeing amazing transformations like you talk about, which is as companies think about recovery, it's not just talent, it's also brand, it's also social. We have an amazing customer right now that has no ad spend, obviously, because they're, they've reduced everything and they're leveraging their alumni to help share, spread the message, talk about what they're doing. And I think that's the, the big focus that we're seeing in the market is having this pool of people that you can call on for whatever it might be. Now, recruiting is always going to be the lowest hanging fruit. This concept of, I need someone with these skills. Do I want to hire a stranger off the internet um, and pray that they work out? Or do I want to hire someone who I know is proven in the organization, who I was sad to see leave three, five X years ago, 
you know, and that time to bill and time to productivity, I mean, is just cut in half. And so we see a lot of this kind of suitability of hire, that if you're spending millions of dollars on kind of LinkedIn, Indeed, Dice, all of these programs to find strangers, surely you should be finding or looking at people that you know have a higher chance of success in your organization. Well, it sounds like you have some customers that are really leaning into it and getting creative. I mean, outside of, um, you know, using their alumni um, groups to, you know, spread the word. Have you seen any other ways that people are getting creative with their alumni programs right now? So I think leaning in is a really good way to put it, which is as, as it's becoming this must have and organizations are assigning resources to it. You're starting to see companies come up with new ideas that we hadn't even contemplated. We have one customer where the CEO comes in um, once a week and does a town hall with all of the furloughed employees and the alumni. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening with the business uh, based on two things. Number one is I think the expectation from the staff is the CEO probably has better visibility of what's happening. Everyone just wants to know one answer. When's it going to end and what's it going to look like? Um, and, and he said something really, really clever last week when I, I was fortunate to listen in. He said, there is no going back to work. We're going forward to work. He said, so you need to change your mindset. Instead of asking, when are we going back? Instead, ask, how do we continue going forward? And I think that's the things that people need to hear. So number one is transparency. That's what's open up, honest conversations. And I think we're seeing that across the board. The fact that we're having conversations in people's living rooms, kitchens, with kids, <laughs> dogs, you know, and, you know, TVs on in the background, I think has opened up a whole new level of being very human. Uh, the second is also sales channels. It is, you know, from hotels to airlines to restaurants, this opportunity to say, actually, could I do something with this massive pool of people? So I, I think every company is coming up with unique and innovative ways to think about it. We have one customer that has a startup program. Uh, they call it kind of their catapult program, where if you've left the company and you're in a startup and you've got an idea, you can talk about it with other alumni. You can spitball the idea, accelerated way to get mentoring, potentially uh, investment. So the key is once you have a happy community, they can really be leveraged for so many things from diversity and inclusion to sales, to recruiting, to whatever it is that's the business objective. I think that's really interesting that you talk about community there, because I think historically old mindset has sort of been that place of when somebody decides to leave the organization, there can sometimes be a, a negative connotation to that. Right. And it sounds like we're shifting gears in our mindset and saying, let's, let's embrace the fluidity of people moving from organizations. Let's let that drive innovation and ideas and not create this sort of unnecessary burning of a bridge, if you will. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of a traitor uh, complex right. associated mm -hmm. with you left your traitor. And I think what we're see moving to is leaving is inevitable. So let's talk about it. Right. And I think there's a big conversation that says, actually, if we know it's inevitable, now we can actually plan and talk about this says, look, what do you expect to be in two to three years? And either we as an organization are going to be able to meet those needs for you in terms of growth or development, or we know you're going to find an alternative. And that's okay because there's not always going to be growth in every company, or there might be a grass is greener potentially. Uh, you know, I have a really cool example from one of our customers that I think six months after you leave, they send an email that says, what technology are you using today that you wish you had when you were with the company, but our IT team was a little bit difficult. 
and, and I'm paraphrasing much more eloquently and, and politically correct, but the answers they got back were really honest answers of I'm using this technology and I love it and it makes me more you know, productive and valuable. And what they realized as an organization is they need to find a way to make their employees be able to say, I want to use this technology because it's going to make me better, productive, happier, less anxiety, whatever it might be. I mean, we all had it years ago when you, know, you joined a Skype and it was 50-50 whether people could hear you and whether it would work. And you know, now it's come a long way with Teams. But I think that concept of being able to ask people after they've left a really honest question um, gives you really honest answers. You know, are, quite, are companies prepared for those answers is really the, the, the big concept. Right. Are they going to do anything once they get those answers? Right. But it's interesting because I think traditionally that, um, that sort of not even an exit interview, but going that step further and reaching out to companies or to employees that have left the company long-term. And, and I still have it where I will, you know, I'll receive a, a form letter. And it, it's still very much for a lot of companies, I think, or to the people feels like it's um, very much um, what's in it for me for the company. They're, they're trying to recruit me back because they need to fill something, but it sounds yeah. like, um, and I'm excited about the fact that companies may start to be looking at it in a different way and saying, what can we learn rather than just being like, Hey, boomerang, we're going to bring you back and, and hire you. But also like, tell us, give us feedback, you know, inform us about what our experience, what your experience was here that made you leave somewhere else. And I think opening up those kinds of conversations and, and having that kind of discussion creates a better opportunity that I might actually reconsider going back to that company. Cause it doesn't feel like yeah. a, a one-sided relationship. It feels like it's a, a mutual conversation then. And I think that's why I use the word community. Uh, and I think this is the difference between legacy alumni programs. So 10 years ago, when some of these bigger companies, professional services started their alumni programs, there wasn't much technology available. It was just basically a directory and some news. But now I don't need a directory. I can get that on LinkedIn. In fact, it's probably more accurate on LinkedIn. You know, I don't need news because I don't really care about your new office in Sao Paulo. And so the old kind of alumni was, hey, we want to stay in touch because we need. The new alumni is how can we deliver value? And value and community requires a two-way relationship. Uh, you know, we have one customer that has... Uh, not so much today, uh, but they're moving online. They had these executive training programs that were in person <clears throat> at their offices. And they always do every, uh, every month, they basically open up 10 seats to alumni to join, wow. continued education. And the view being, someone's going to join that. You're going to be able to have a discussion. So you can't just walk out and be like, hey, you want to come back? You know, you have to say, hey, you're leaving the company. We'd like to maintain a relationship, learning, development, discounts, swag, referrals, whatever it might be that's important to you. And then at some point, yes, we might ask for something, but we're not starting there. We're starting with community. How can we be of service to you? Uh, there was a great article uh, and great concept from McDonald's where they have this concept of where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in three, five, 10, 12 years? You know, McDonald's is literally America's first job, maybe mm -hmm. the world's first job. <laughs> um, and so this concept of saying, where do you want to be, you know, three, five, 10 years from now, and then finding someone at McDonald's who's in that position to then talk to those 10, 15, 20, 300 people and say, here's how I got here. Here's the route I took. So when you ask about kind of innovative ways people are thinking about their alumni communities, it's really just innovative ways people are thinking about people and being good employers. And I think there's a rising tide conversation of you have to create the recruits. You can't just go out on the internet and find them. You have to develop people, create a relationship. And ultimately, your alumni do have an affinity to your firm. 
And if you think about retirees, many of them who have stock option plans, you know, everyone's like, well, they've retired. What value can they serve? Well, they are shareholders in your organization. They can serve a lot of value. So when you talk about the response or the recovery, a lot of our customers are going out to their retirees and saying, hey, would you consider coming back part-time, short-time uh, to help us out with X, Y, and Z? And if yes, can we start training you on X, Y, and Z so that when we press the button, you're immediately available? And you're seeing retirees, essentially, it's their call to action. Yes, I'm ready. I'm in. And I think these are really clever ways that the more innovative companies are recognizing how they're going to fill these positions that they critically need very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, how does this apply to smaller companies or to, some, to, to different industries? Because you think about the, the, the data that the Fed Reserve shared recently talking about that 40% of, you know, households that are at $40,000 or less, you know, income a year were the ones impacted in March or were impacted in March. And that's not going to be a lot of your white collar jobs, your right. large enterprise organizations. That's going to be a lot more from the service industry or small niche groups um, and small businesses. Do, does this kind of program work in that space too? Yeah, I think it's a global statement. So I think the answer is two parts. So number one, whether you use you know, our platform or not, it doesn't really matter. Whether it's a Facebook group, a LinkedIn group, an Excel spreadsheet, whatever it is, the concept is maintain a relationship. So yes, as you start to grow and your community grows in size, you're going to want to have more complex rules and automation and integrations. But the answer is there is no reason to not maintain a relationship. Whether you do it on an Etch-A-Sketch or a platform really doesn't matter. I think the second thing comes into separating the workforce between what we would call field and white collar. Um, and number one is they have different needs and that's very important. So for us, I think when you think about why do people choose a platform, it's this ability to segregate or segment the communities, give those different experiences. But one of our customers who has a lot of furloughed um, you know, field workers has said, come back better. Here's access to resources, training, learning, um, university. They're going to pay for university programming and they're going to co-pay if you want to do an MBA program. They are actively investing and saying, look, we've got all these resources we already offer our employees. Why wouldn't we just extend that to our furloughed and our alumni? So the worst case scenario is they become more skilled. That's my downside. And there is a view where people are like, well, what happens if they take those skills and go somewhere else? Okay. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see the, the question there. So you've upskilled them and maybe they'll come back at some point, but they're going to be thrilled that you are the one that upskilled them. So I think in that kind of field worker mentality, yes, I mean, the biggest thing people need is money and cash and employment. And there's no question about that. But if we are in this awful situation, can you use this time to essentially say, I'm going to learn something? All of these new skills are emerging, digital, remote conferencing, um, digital transformation. There are a lot of skills that are functional that you can actually learn through an online course, get a certification, and essentially move from a field employee to a white collar employee very, very quickly. Not all of them require X years experience. Some of them are just very functional. And I think we've seen one of our companies or one of our customers be very explicit that says, look, here are four skills we're going to be hiring in the next 24 months. Go learn them and then come back, add them to your resume, tell us about them and we will hire you. And I thought that was just an amazing, again, human way to kind of engage those people. So the answer to your question I know is quite long, but I think it's important to recognize that everyone does have different needs and different requirements and this is not a one size fits all. Right. Well, and I think it's great what you said there at the very end about the customer who is says, here are the four skills we need. Like the amount of transparency there, um, you know, 
gives some feeling to that individual that they can trust what's, what's being said, because it, it isn't right. sort of dressed up in a lot of fluff and well, and we'll see, and all this sort of like laundry list of all of these different things. It becomes very concrete, very tangible, something the person can feel um, is a realistic, actionable thing that they can do to have some level of control right now. So I, I think that's fantastic. I, I applaud them for doing that. Um, so as people are thinking about building these programs, it's, it's shifting from that nice to have or back burner where, oh, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. And now they're going, okay, gosh, we got to We got to do right. this. We, we got <laughs> We got to do it. Where do they even start? How, how do you even get started building this program? Is it a lot of energy and effort? Is it, is it fairly simple? What are your thoughts on that? So I think that depends on the company. Some companies go lean in, all in. They've bought into it. They understand. They see the value. They're like, okay, we are going to dedicate resources. You generally see resources expand as programs succeed. So, you know, the HR line of business without generalizing very often is kind of incremental land and expand, um, you know, as opposed to maybe sales where they're like, let's do it all and let's do it all at once and let's throw millions at it and see what happens. Um, and so the key, where do you start? You take one step whatever that step might be. So whether you're a small business, medium or large, maybe step one is just setting up a community and inviting people that are leaving today onwards. You know, for us, for a lot of our customers, we have a historic acquisition program where we'll go out and find their, you know, 10, 20, 300,000 ex-alumni and invite them in because essentially the bigger the pool of people, the more you can do with them. Uh, but I think the first step is do something. Uh, whether it is a, a LinkedIn group, a Facebook group, an email. Uh, I think the other big thing is make sure when people leave your organization, get a personal email address. <laughs> Don't get rely on a, their work one. <laughs> yeah, you know, their work, you know, and you had their personal because when they came in the ATS and you hired them, they used their Gmail. You then replaced that in your system with their corporate email address. And now that personal email address is just in the ether somewhere. So I think the number one step, even if you don't use it immediately, is make sure to collect that personal email address. You just never know when you're going to need it uh, and that ability to maintain a contact uh, with people. But I think the other first step is to start embedding it as part of the culture of the organization. Leaving is inevitable. This is what it means. This is what happens. You can't have this conversation of you're a colleague for life until you leave. It doesn't work that way. So I wonder when we talk about community, you know, in talent acquisition, we, we've tried to adopt communities in different ways. Um, and oftentimes you'll see it on the front end of the funnel where we'll invite somebody in as a candidate to be a part of our talent community. And oftentimes we'll see those types of programs I don't want to say fail. That seems like a strong word, but maybe fizzle out. Yeah, fizzle out. That's perfect. Um, because that sort of long-term maintenance plan hasn't been devised. You know, you get all these names and email addresses in there, and then they just sit in the big database. You know, we talk about ways that we can communicate. Are there some sort of standard cadences that you see in the alumni space? Should we be talking to them twice a month? once a quarter, once a year, like are there best practices? So I think cadence, the word you use is, is the, is you nailed it. Consistency and cadence of those communications, whatever it might be, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annually, not, you know, not sending a message for the sake of sending a message. Uh, I think that's the number one is whatever that cadence is. But I think that's also part of when people start to have enough size to move into a platform is they say, well, you're going to come because we have this learning or this webinar or this white paper that you want to access or this discount to a hotel or a flight. It doesn't always have to be I'm logging in because I need something from the company or I want a job or I want something or I care about this. Sometimes it's how can we serve you? Maybe you want to be a mentor. Maybe you want to be part of a speaker's bureau. So the key goes back to the thing you started at the very beginning, Courtney, 
which was, how do I deliver value to you? If I deliver value to you and I can engage with you and upskill or, or make sure this experience is valuable, then I don't have to worry about the engagement. I think it fizzles out when people are trying to force a conversation that you don't want to have. You left voluntarily. Like if I wanted to, if I wanted a job, I would have stayed. And so perhaps that's where Alumni 2.0 comes in, which is number one is the requirement to say, how can we serve you? How can we give more than we get? Only when you have done that, can you then see what we see is this autonomous scaling. Look, this has to be scalable, has to be crowdsourced, but as you start to get some size and momentum, you find that the people in the community start to create the content. Like we have one customer where there was a, I think there's a group in Singapore that said, hey, we want to set up a chapter. And they were like, we don't even, what? All of a sudden we're going to have people helping us and resources and doing things. And that's a result of the hard work they put in. So it does take a little bit of effort to really engage and do things, but also takes it being part of the culture of the organization. I think if you think about any company, there are always programs or things happening that the alumni could be a part of, whether it's joining your marathon team, volunteering to your community work day, you know, whatever it might be, small to big, there's always something. And when it's part of the organization, those things just arrive and come to you versus you having to create new ways or excuses to reach out. So for us, we always tell people the difference between good and great is strategy and cadence. And most of the time we work with a company and say, well, what are your objectives? Maybe we should start there. What we're trying to get away from that I think you kind of hinted at is these random acts of marketing. These random acts of, oh, I should send a message about a thing. Well, actually, let's start on what are we trying to achieve? Is it recruits? Is it referrals? Is it sales? Because once you can do that, then you can have a KPI. Then you can have a report. Then we know how we're going to be measured. You know, it's, we always use a phrase that we stole from somewhere, which is 50% of our marketing's working. We just don't know which 50%. And we want to remove that very, very quickly. So for us, everything starts and ends with the data. Uh, and that way, all of the programming should be aligned to the strategic objectives of the organization. Because ultimately, it does have to have an ROI. Ultimately, it does have to pay for itself and more. And it does have to turn into a profit center. Uh, and so understanding the, the reasons we're doing this is important. And sometimes the reason is just because it's a good thing to do. There's a quote uh, I heard recently from PayPal, which said, we just want to be known as a good place to be and a good place to be from. That's our purpose. That's I good. mean, that's that's big. I love it. Now I want to go work there. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I said the exact same thing. Well, I told him, I said, I said to him, I said, I might steal that. I may or may not give you credit, but now I put on record, uh, open it. And they deserve that credit because that's a really great way to think about their people. What do you need from them? Nothing. I just need them to, to recognize that we have been part of their journey and that's our goal. And now we want to serve them. And if they come back amazing, if they don't come back amazing, but they will always be carrying the, the, you know, the, the, the P flag. Right. You mentioned KPIs and data earlier. Do you have favorite success metrics when it comes to programs like this? Things that you um, say, these are, these are just really good stakes in the ground to know that you're making the right steps in the right direction and building these communities. So the first thing I really love about data is for many people who are active, actually across the organization, it's not fair to place it just within the HR line of business, is not only access to all their data, but being able to understand it. You know, a dashboard, doesn't tell me anything except a dashboard. You know, what does that mean for me? How do I interrogate it? So for us, a really big conversation around data is predictive analytics. What does this mean to you? What should you change? You know, data without impact doesn't really mean anything. So I think the, the data that really highlights for people is things like being able to show the recruiting funnel. You know, you had this hard to fill role, you put it in, how many people came through? What was their time to fill? Like we just did an integration with Qualtrics for a customer around the time to productivity. 
and essentially being able to come up with a data point that says time to productivity for our organization used to be 60 days. If we hire an alumni, it's 22 days. I can put a number on that. So I can put a dollar figure there and it's, it's uncontestable. And now that's how you get kind of momentum in the workforce is these wins. And I sometimes think that HR, again, line of business, I say that widely, doesn't celebrate their wins enough. They don't broadcast their wins. They don't advertise their wins. But if you were to go to anybody in the organization that said, look, people that we hire are productive in, in you know, 50% of the time of other people, they would be like, that's amazing. Because yeah. all people want, yeah, all people want is people quicker. That's all they want. Boots on the ground, starting quicker. And so I, I think that's the other thing is reporting does is allows people to celebrate the wins, to showcase the wins, to advertise the successes that their group is having versus the only people knowing about it is their small silo that they work in. When you talk about celebrating the wins and, and the ROI on things, I immediately start thinking about, you know, TA or HR leaders going to their executives um, and others in the organization and trying to get them bought into this. Are there sort of standard objections that, that you tend to hear from the executive space or from the leadership space around adopting alumni programs? Is there something that folks can be prepared with to go into those conversations? So I think there's two answers and I'm ready to be uh, schwacked in the comments section here is number one, um, why would we invest money in people that have left us? They left. Mm -hmm. the, the answer to that one is with all due respect, we're going to wait for you to leave as well because that mentality doesn't work anymore. And anyone, right. and there is, there is a little bit of that old school mentality because many people in very senior positions have been there for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't think I'm generalizing. I don't think I'm being offensive with that statement. I think it's just right. a, a fact. Um, and we see that. But we've also seen that with this transformation over the past six weeks. Companies that are historically, you know, old in nature and how they operate. Of course, we can't have Slack. Of course, we can't use Zoom. Of course, you can't have a shared document. Turns out, yeah, you can. <laughs> Turns out, not only you can, you will. And now you have it. And you're either going to learn it or you're not. And if you don't learn it, you're going to have a big wake-up call. Um, so I think this has been an opportunity to also kind of throw the transformation is inevitable uh, in there. I think the second objection is we don't have time. We have too many tools and we have things and we have bits and like another tool that's going to do another thing. But I think that's on the responsibility of any of these you know, best of breed applications is to integrate flawlessly. You've got to bring the data to where people live. And what I mean by that is for a recruiter, we had one recruiter who told us last year, that if you, want them to, if you want them to respond to a candidate that has interest the same day, send it to their email. If you want it to happen in the same month, send it to their core HR ATS system. And I won't name names. And what they were saying is deliver it where I want it. And the same with the end user. If you want me to open, engage, and read, some people want email, some people want WhatsApp, some people want WeChat. You've got to go where they are. And I think that's just a transformation that all vendors are recognizing is you can't force someone that left to have to come in and log into this thing to consume the content that you want to throw at them. Instead, ask them. And so a big thing for us over the past year has been, where do you want your data and how do you want to be delivered? And I think, you know, that's sometimes one of the objections is who's going to deal with it. And for us, I think that's also about the value of the cloud. Now, one of the great things of the cloud is companies can pull off software, they can start it up. And if it doesn't say, do what it says on the tin, they're not going to use it. So this opportunity to trial, to test, to play, to innovate. This is also the only time I reckon in companies' lives where they can look at a community of people and say, we're going to test something. It might not work. Bear with us. When else? Can you imagine any company in the world in November, last November sending you an email and saying, hey, you know, we're a Fortune 100 company. We've got this idea. We're going to brainstorm. 
No, no one would accept it, but today it's accepted. And I think that's an amazing thing. So this ability to try, test, play, and innovate uh, and use some of these products that are out there um, is a real benefit for a lot of organizations. How does it, how does it for an alumni experience, is it different than your, your typical candidate experience? In my head, I'm thinking of a conversation I had just this morning with someone on my team who was sharing that a uh, previous employer that they worked for had a program where they reached out to individuals that had actually declined offers. And um, if they re-engage them in the hiring process, they got to skip ahead um, and not go through all the pieces of the interview process again and, and sort of drill it down to some very core pieces. Is it the same for alumni? Do alumni get to have a different experience than your typical candidate if they do in fact raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll, I'll reconsider coming back? So the answer is, Without doubt, yes, like a massive yes. It's also a time to be really honest, uh, which is that people a certain grade or job level of above don't apply for jobs because they have application arrogance. Eh, I'm past that stage in my career. I'm not going to your career site and uploading a resume. I don't even have a resume. Do you know who I am? Do you know me? If you want me, come get me. And I think application arrogance is a reality that people tend to ignore and people want to kind of just brush under the rug. Oh, no, it doesn't exist. But if you look at the data on careers pages, the volume of bounces when people click apply because they don't put in the password, they don't set up an account because they can't be bothered and and nor should they. So yes, there's a couple of programs that we have. Um, the first is one of our favorites is we had a lady who wrote an article for us and she said, I had a baby, not a lobotomy. Why is it so difficult to come back to the organization? And so we have a lot of customers who have very specific programs for those returners for maternity and paternity leave that says, of course you can skip the process. We know you, you're amazing. We can't wait to have you back. How do we make sure that the door is wide open for you? What we're trying to do in the alumni platform is just get people to raise their hand and say, huh, I would be interested in a conversation. And so there's a lot of features, whether it's clicking, you know, literally the raise hand button or the I'm interested. And, and that's what's important is how do I get someone who's happily employed to be like, huh, I would be willing to chat about this role. And so we have a whole sequence called I'm interested. You click it. It sends an email to the recruiter that says something to the, uh, like James Sinclair is interested in this role, but he's too arrogant to apply. You should reach out to him. Here's his phone number and email. And what you, and it doesn't quite say that, but one of the funny, <laughs> one of, I wish it did, but one of the funny anecdotes of that is that person never goes in the ATS and never gets the job that they actually raise their hand for. Because the minute they speak to a recruiter, they get a better, a different, a, a, a more viable role, whatever it might be. And that's what recruiters love is just hot leads. Tell me someone with the skills I need, who I have their performance, I have their training, that actually has interest in returning, you know, because the grass isn't quite as green. And I think that's the third data point that we found. And not to give you a long-winded answer, is the volume of people that regret the change of job. Right. They, they go to another place, they don't quite like it, but what am I going to do? Bring my manager two weeks later and be like, oops, can you have me back? No, are you kidding me? Forget application arrogance. That's just life arrogance. I don't have the... I could never imagine doing that. And I think that serves most of the world. And so just making it easy for people to just pop their hand up and be like, yes. Well, and I think, um, you know, when you talk about the recruiter experience, you know, a lot of companies will have positions that are posted internally only, and they're only going, they're only willing to mm -hmm. consider those folks that are already there in house. And I have to imagine that for companies that are really embracing the alumni program, there's probably a fair share of positions that are really sort of for alumni only too, or at least internal and alumni only, like they, they want you to come to the table with a little bit of that, um, you know, internal knowledge already that's going to make you be more successful in that role than regardless of a skill set or experience of somebody outside, they, they just couldn't have as quickly. Are you seeing that? 
number one is I feel like everything you're saying, I'm all in on it. I, I'm trying to look at you working in the office. Do you work here? Because because you, you nailed all of these conversations. And yeah, for one of our banks, they call it their unicorn hire, which is you worked in a specific department in the bank. You went to the similar department at another very specific one of four banks. And now you're coming back. There is only one way to have that skill set they're looking for. That is to leave, go to these four companies or these four banks and return. And the ROI on that is just astronomical. Uh, but yeah, a lot of companies also do post their internals, but some companies also post externals. Essentially, hey, we might not have the job for you, but here's a partner or a customer or a vendor that does have the role for you, that we just want you happily employed. Yes, we want you with us first, but actually there are some companies who would rather you go to a customer because you're going to be more impactful on the sales sequence and all of those. So when you going back again to kind of these innovative strategies companies are taking, it's yes, here are our jobs, but here's jobs that some customers that we'd be delighted to introduce you to. Um, and I think that's just opening up this amazing conversation of, of ownership of you. Who owns you and your record? And the answer is it's not the company, it's you. And therefore, what the company has to do is enable you to get to be your best you, whatever that might mean. And that's part of community is truly giving and being of service. Well, I have to be honest, this is this whole conversation is just a breath of fresh air. It just gets me excited. It makes me uh, feel like there there is hope that we're going to, you know, really push ourselves to, um, you know, from a TA perspective. Um, get out of that sort of poaching and like hyper sort of negative competitive mindset and really be about how can we do this together? And, and it, you know, for me personally, it's always, um, you know, whether you're, it's for my job posting or you're my candidate or not, none of that matters. I see myself as somebody who's there to help you find the next opportunity. And I feel like programs like this have that same spirit where it's just, how can we help you continue to tell your story and build that narrative around who you are and what you're doing and the skills that you bring to the table? whether it's our table or somebody else's table. So I love right. it. This is so exciting. Um, as we wrap up, are there any sort of final pieces that you would share, you know, advice or recommendations that you'd share with HR or TA leaders who are maybe tipping their toes into to this space and, and, and are excited to move forward? Maybe I can, I can end it up with, we just did a webinar with the global alumni leaders from City and EY, and they dropped two bombs of data that I think would be really helpful because if you can do it in a large company, you can do it in a small company. So I hope I'm not off, but I might be off one or two percentage points, but EY, I think they said 17% of all of their employees are returners. Uh, and he also said that someone who is a staff accountant at EY many, many moons ago is now on the board of a Fortune 10 company. And he said it was the alumni team that maintained that relationship. And the second one was City. And I think they said it was 12% or 11% of their employees are returners. And he put a dollar figure against it that said he thinks that when you start talking management and above, those cost savings are about $75,000 per hire. Because not only the recruit, it's also the time to value. They stay two years longer. There's all of these uh, data points that kind of build that business case. But I, I think a good program will fill between 10 and 20% of all their open requisitions from alumni or alumni referrals. And if that doesn't uh, open an eye, then I'm not sure what else will. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, chat with you more about alumni programs or hear more about enterprise alumni, how do, how do they go about and do that? What's the best way? 
connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on the, on the socials or enterprisealumni.com. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you are a massive organization or a small organization. If you want to talk about it, if you're thinking about it, uh, we love having the conversations. Not everything has to be a sales conversation. Uh, we love learning about other businesses, what they're doing. Some of the best ideas come from small businesses that we can never serve, but they have really innovative strategies that we can then scale to some of our other customers. So be delighted for people to reach out and have those conversations. So much, James. I really appreciate you hopping on the Thanks, call. Thanks, Thank you. Amazing. Cool. This was cool. such an awesome conversation. I, I feel like I, I feel like you nailed it, Courtney. In terms of like, I could have it could have been the other way around. Like, I could have been asking you these questions. <laughs> And you could have been the expert on it because you, you were so eloquent. I'm not being a hype man, just to be clear. It was this is just- why she's the mistress of interviewing. By the way, it turns out, turns out Jim is not a hype man. Jim is just, just accurate. He's just accurate. You should know that, Corny. You, you nailed everything about this. Um, yeah, you did. He's not your hype man. It's just a statement of fact. I really enjoyed talking to you. So Thank kudos. You. Well, I really, I really enjoyed it as well. It was a um, really interesting topic. I was telling Jim before we came on the call when we were chatting this morning that, um, you know, I. I've worked with a lot of companies that have had what I would call boomerang or alumni initiatives, but not really programs. So it was really fun to sort of dig in and, and really think about, um, you know, what it meant from like a program scale perspective versus just like, okay, it's seasonal time. Let's do this boomerang initiative and then not talk to them again for a year. So right. um, it really challenged my sort of perspective of what I in previous life had always sort of seen and experienced. I love that. That's amazing.